The forward pass was legalized in 1906, leading to the first authenticated pass completion in a pro game occurring on October 27th of the same year. George Peggy Parrott of Missillin threw a completion to Dan Bullet Riley in a victory over a combined Benwood Moundsville team. This was 16 days after the hero of our story was born. As a quarterback, he would end up becoming the city of Detroit's first gridiron great. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step up our DeLorean, the date is October 11th, 1906, and we are in Fowler, Colorado, and of course, this is when the hero of our story was born. This time, the hero is Earl Harry Clark, who was, uh, he had a nickname, uh, it was Dutch, he went by Dutch Clark, you know, throughout his career. Now, this is not confirmed, but the Detroit Athletic site stated that George Hallis, you know, Papa Bear, once called Dutch pro football's greatest player, and if that's true, I'm telling you, this is a tall order, a pretty uh, legendary status type of claim, because just think about it. Consider how many Hall of Famers that played for George Hellis. Now, of course, this is at the beginning of his career, so there were many that played afterwards, but still, that's pretty neat to say that at the time, he called Dutch Clark pro football's greatest player. In high school, he attended Pueblos Central High School, which later they would, uh, in the 1980s, renamed the stadium to Earl Dutch Clark Stadium. And of course, when he's in high school, he ran the gamut. He was a football, baseball, basketball, track and field star, I'm sure many others, but of course, he would be considered the state's greatest athlete at the time. So after high school, he would attend Colorado College as a triple threat quarterback. And this comes from the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame's website, where it said that he was, quote, one of the most versatile players in Colorado football history. In fact, he was the first Colorado college football player to be named to the All-American team. In an article from the New York Times, I kind of went over a game where he would become a one-man wrecking crew against Wyoming back in 1928. Now, in this game, the article stated that he rushed the ball 20 times for 381 yards. He also completed eight passes for 200 yards, and he scored 36 of the 48 points for the team in a routing victory over Wyoming that was 48 to 25. So although that was probably the most uh, legendary game that he had, of course, he, he had quite a few of those types of games throughout his college career. And then in uh, 1930, he served as the basketball and backfield coach for Colorado College. But kind of like Kurt uh, Warner, you know, not really the same, but coming out of nowhere, he didn't play pro football until two years after he graduated college. So I've talked about this before. The pros, no, that they were not that big of a deal back then. It wasn't like after you're a superstar college player, you automatically go to the professional football ranks or anything like that. It was just like, okay, sure, or maybe not. I don't know. He had just a strange, strange, weird, kind of crazy career. But then in 1931, 
he decided to join the Portsmouth Spartans out of Portsmouth, Ohio. Now, he was a uh, all-pro, you know, otherworldly athlete for the Portsmouth Spartans for his first two seasons. But for some reason, he decided to retire because of a salary dispute after only two seasons in professional ranks where he was an all-pro. So he's like one of the top guys. But he's like, nah, I ain't having this. I'm leaving. So he will go to coach for the Colorado School of Mines. And that's mines as in, you know, mining out in the coal mines and that kind of thing and digging with a pickaxe and that such. But that would not ultimately be the end of his career in the professional football ranks because in 1934, he will come back to the Spartans. However, they were no longer called the Portsmouth Spartans at this time because in 1934, the team was bought by a Detroit radio executive George A. Richards for $8,000, and he would move that team to the big city, the Motor City, Detroit. At the time, this is a uh, pretty large sum of money. I'll tell you what, I'll include a link from the Pro Football Hall of Fame site about the history of the Lions in the show notes. And by the way, you can find the show notes over at thefootballhistorydude.com, and also, I'd like to make sure you mash that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes each and every week. But getting back to Dutch Clark. Now Richards, like I said, the uh, new owner of the Detroit Lions, he knew that he needed a star for his team. Someone that would take them kind of from the bottom of the league and this brand new team to ultimate glory. So, of course, in comes Dutch Clark. He would be the first star for his new team. Considered the Detroit Lions first gridiron great. Now going back to this first game where he played for the Detroit Lions. This was against the New York Giants. It was kind of more of a snooze fest, uh, not a whole lot of scoring going on. In fact, it was a 9-0 victory over the New York Giants. So still, first game, first NFL game for the Detroit Lions, they beat the New York Giants 9-0. And it was a drop kick for a field goal in the third quarter by Mr. Dutch Clark. That was the first score ever for the Detroit Lions. And by the way, when I said triple threat player, it meant many things. And it didn't mean just passing and stuff like that and running. I mean, he also played defense and special teams. There was a quote from the Detroit Athletic describing him uh, about as good as we can for the type of skill set that this individual had. And it goes as such. An all-pro in six of his seven professional seasons, Clark, an all-American from tiny Colorado College, was considered an exceptional field general, an accurate passer, a fine punter, football's last drop kicker, and, in the era of the 60-minute man, an exceptional defensive safety, end quote. With all this being said, he was considered to be blind as a bat. He couldn't really seem like the normal type of person. There was a book that later on would come out about him, and in there, it described how he supposedly had 20 200 vision in his left eye, which it kind of means that like he would see from 20 feet away what normal people would see at 200 feet. So uh, most states nowadays consider this legally blind. So he was legally blind, yet he was able to somehow throw and see past defenders, be able to hit that guy on the run. And, you know, when he was running through the line, he would see the defender ahead of time and be able to zip zap around and score a touchdown. Uh, It reminds me of stories. Now, these are legendary stories where QBs and running backs were on the same page so much that they could run routes in the dark. They could toss that ball and he would catch it down in the dark and he'd be able to just carry on. Now, 
I'm not condoning this. I do not uh, think this is probably a wise move for you in the future to throw the football in the dark. But again, I really don't know where this came from. So overall, I don't think it's a good idea. But sometimes you just got to have faith. The same thing can be said when you put a team on DraftKings. By the way, to get your free entry into a DraftKings tournament, head over to thefootballhistorydude.com slash DraftKings. Now getting back to the 1934 inaugural season for Detroit. The first seven games, the Detroit Lions shut out their opponents. Then they ended up losing the last three by three points each for a total record of 10-3. and three. But then in their second year, they would win their first NFL championship. And of course, Dutch Clark was the star. And he had a game in the championship that was highlighted by a spectacular 40-yard touchdown run. Now, among other things, he was considered the team's general for the famous infantry attack in Detroit um, that referred to just the onslaught that they would have to you from an offensive perspective. He would lead them to a team rushing record in 1936 that would stand for 36 years. Now, I found a cool little newspaper clipping that came from that year of 1936 with a few quotes from various players. And the headline for this article went as such, Lions quarterback nearest approach to perfect player. And the first uh, player that I wanted to give to you that had a quote, uh, this quote came from Bronco Nagurski. I mean, we talked about this guy, you know, just a hard-nosed, smash-mouth kind of player. But he had an interesting take on Earl Dutch Clark, and it went as such. He looks like the easiest man to tackle. The first time I tried it, I thought I'd break him in two. But when I closed my arms, all I was holding was air. And another one comes from Red Grange. Yep, Red Grange. (laughs) We know that guy, too. And uh, he had a quote that went as such. He is the hardest man in football to tackle. His change of pace fools the best tacklers. Speaking of that article, it stated that he was 6 foot and 184 pounds. So he was a little bit lankier. But, like both of these guys say, he was the hardest guy to tackle in the NFL at the time. And and we're talking Bronco Nagurski and Red Grange. Those are probably a couple dudes that knew what it was like to tackle some guys because they themselves, for different reasons, whether it was lightning or thunder, were very difficult to tackle themselves. But he had an excellent career in the pro football ranks, and he would go on to coach a little bit too. He was the player coach for the Lions in 1937 and 1938. Then he would coach the Cleveland Rams for four years. And kind of like doing some other things and stuff. And back in the 1950s, he was the head coach and athletic director at the University of Detroit. And he had a Hall of Fame career that was made official in 1963 with the uh, inaugural class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And of course, you know, college, his college, and other local Hall of Fames and such. But the culmination was the Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee of the inaugural class of 1963, where only 16 other guys could say that. And we've covered the careers of the majority of the 17 inaugural members of the 1963 class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yep, we have a few more to go, but Dutch Clark was up there with the best of them. So he was also mentioned for the NFL All-Decade Team for the 1930s. And he would be the first Detroit Lion to have his jersey retired, which was number 7. And although he was uh, such a big star, then again he was a coach. He maintained a low profile, and he ended up working for a uh, tool and die company as a salesman, among other jobs. But with that being said, 
Dutch's style of play was unique, and his coach Patsy Clark had the most famous description uh, about how he was as a player, and it goes as such. He's like a rabbit in the brush. He has no set plan, no definitive direction. He is an instinctive runner who cuts, pivots, slants, reverses. When the interference gets him in the secondary, he begins his mad twists and turns. He'll get out of more holes than anybody you have ever saw. Just about the time you expect to see him smothered, he's free of tacklers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets of Detroit's first gridiron great. In the next episode, we cover the life and career of another member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame class, Mel Hine. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.